Welcome to Serial Recorders. On this episode, we take a look at Brian and Chris, two young men who hosted a podcast about reviewing home releases. One is usually right, one is usually wrong. We're going to take a look this week and try and figure out who is who. Brian's a nice kid in his mid-twenties, a little cynical, but generally more positive than Chris seems to be about most things. I got a chance to talk to him on the phone for a second. Yeah, you know, if you look at it from the shark's perspective, Deep Blue Sea is actually an amazing prison break film. A neat kid. I tend to enjoy my time with him. On the other end of the spectrum, there's Chris. He's just angry all the time, filled with rage. Yeah, 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 filled with rage. Chris, can we drop this whole serial act and just drink beer? Ooh, beer. Beer. Wrapping paper, clear away the beer cans, and stuff one last handful of reindeer meat in your mouth because the holidays are over and it's time for digital noise. Yay! I mean, not yay for the holidays being over because I really like the holidays. I'm sorry. I'm... I, I mean, I do too, but uh, but at the same time, you're kind of glad the, the pre-holiday stress is over. That instantaneous moment when it is technically the holidays. Is great. Right, yeah. It's no. just a month and a half beforehand leading up to it that kind of are irritating. Well, it builds up to a point that's like, it needs to happen now or I'm going to get silver balls. But, like, as yeah, soon as it's right. done, it's it's done. Of course, we still have New Year's coming up, yeah. which is always exciting. Yeah, the last little, uh, you know, look, I, I think I have an erection again. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> the last erection of 2014. <laughs> Hey, but anyway, this is the weekly One of Us podcast that re-gifts the newest Blu-rays and DVDs DVDs, onto you, the listener. Uh I'm Brian. (laughs) And I got a sling clasp. (laughs) I'm Chris. I don't know when he turned into a cartoon, but he's a cartoon now. I am. I'm also old and crotchety. (laughs) Well, speaking of old and crotchety, our old episodes are available on iTunes as well as on Stitcher. You can also like the website on Facebook, facebook.com slash oneofusnet. You can follow the show on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast. And please do consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. That's how we continue to bring content to you. And as uh, many of you have discovered, I've been noticing from the new subscriptions we've been getting, uh, that we do have a weekly subscriber-only podcast called The Breakfast Pub, where Chris and I talk about movie news and movie trailers from any given week. So and we even throw in guest stars from time to time. Like yep. there was last week was with Cargill and yep. Ryan, and the week before was me and Martin Thomas. Crazy. So you never know what you're going to hear on The Breakfast Pub, but that is just for people who are subscribers. Yes, at any level. So jump on that ASAP. But hey, it's time to reach out to the Intersphere and receive transmissions from you, the listener. It's the part of the show where we crack open the most questionable coffers we call... The Letterbox. You've got mail. Yes, Torgo, I, uh, the, the Christmas tree... Did you have to burn it down? I mean, you could have just deconstructed, put it back in the box. Had to burn it. Had, I had to. Okay. I miss it. I'm already pining for it. Wow. Oh, jokes like that just needle me. Um, <laughs> so we have questions. That's what they're for. Ah, <laughs> ah, I'm going to skirt any more jokes about that. Uh, 
We have a question from Mike. All the people tuned out already. Uh, we have a question from Michael Scully who asks, what are some New Year's resolutions you'd like to see Hollywood make? Um, you know, pay attention to your own history. Look what happened in the 70s when you got away. You started paying money, spending more money on, like, art. And audiences responded. And it worked out well for you. And you ended up with a whole slew of actors and directors that came out of nowhere that were became, like, legendary. Like Spielberg and Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese. You know, remember your own history and, you know what, maybe try that again. The only people who seem to be taking chances in Hollywood any, with, like, the arty underground guys is Marvel. Yeah. Holy shit. And they're doing a great job. I mean, as term, in terms of blockbuster films go, those guys have got that down to a science that, unless you're just that cynical, you, like, can't say that they're not doing a fan, like, as great a job as anyone has ever done at the blockbuster film being art in and of itself. But I want to see some... You know, you guys trying things again, not being afraid to do stuff again. Give yourself. There's so many great creators out there working the underground or people working from television. It's time to give these people a chance to show what they can really do and let them do it. Just let them be and let them do it. Audiences will respond to intelligent, challenging material if you give them the opportunity to. But just keep spoon feeding Television's as guilty as this as, as movies are with like, you know, canceling shows that actually would have a following if you'd give it more than a season. But instead, you like, well, you know what? We can't take any chances. So let's just spoon feed them some more reality gruel. Yeah. No. Good speech, coach. Uh, <laughs> gonna, you get out there and you win. I'm going to go with, OK, action filmmakers. You no longer get to use Final Cut. From now on, you have to edit your movies by hand. So when you decide to make a cut in the action, you actually have to splice that by hand. Maybe that'll teach you to do less than 100,000 per action sequence. So many cuts in action movies anymore. Not necessary. And buy a fucking tripod. I'm sorry. You are, you're, not, you're not Neville Dean and Taylor holding onto the back of a motorcycle and wearing rollerblades by a goddamn tripod. Anybody who likes action movies now can see a film with that many edits and go... Anybody, this could be anybody. Anybody yeah. could be, I could be, look like a badass action hero with this many edits. It's not hard. I could do it with my cell phone and look like Chuck Norris. Sure. We just don't buy that anymore. Yeah. And the sad thing is we've got the CG technolo- technology now to very convincingly make a badass stuntman look like me. <laughs> so, you know, and it, you'd never guess, so you'd never notice the difference. I'd rather see one solid shot with a bit of that type of tinkering in it than a billion edits, which which is bad enough that, like, yes, it could be anybody, but B, you can't tell what the fuck is going on half the time. Yes. Oh, and another resolution. Uh, resolve to only give Michael Bay $2 million for his next movie. Dude, how great it would be if, the, like, they started having, like, a rewards type system based on artistic criteria like like there's this society of artists that say you know what michael you it's okay every once in a while to put out one of these type movies but you've abused your privileges so, so for the next three much years yeah, until you make at least five movies with under a two million dollar budget you're not allowed to make any more movies yeah absolutely and you're not allowed to put any big stars in them none at all you have Same. to make a two million dollar movie with with up and comers, and you have to actually put some thought into and this it. This goes back to what I was saying. My resolution: I'm like, hey guys, you know what? How how much harder people work to make good films when they don't have endless resources to work from? Mm-hmm. It's just human nature, quite yeah. frankly. A lot of the the great directors, their guess what? Their best work came when they were struggling. True story. <laughs> oh, and finally, Hollywood: uh, no more found footage. 
Yeah, I think that like there's some really good found footage films, but you guys have abused your privileges on that too. Or maybe we, you know what, we could we could give this to the same body that I feel should be in place to justify any movie over 90 minutes. <laughs> I feel like if you're going to make a found footage horror film, you have to appeal to a uh, an elected body that says yay or nay on that. And then if, it, if they vote nay, if they if they decide that you're you know really shitty. You know, uh, what was that movie called? Generation X or whatever, Party School. What the I, name? What the hell was the name of that movie? I'm the, I kind of like that movie. What was it? I, I'm literally, I'm not being, was, making a joke. It was like Operation X or Project X. Project. I was like, shit, yeah. I literally can't remember the name of the movie because of the the rage my only hemorrhages in my brain. that I thought it was an X-Man film. And I was yeah, like, right? right? And it didn't turn out to be that way. <laughs> so, yes, all, all, I think, solid resolutions for Hollywood next year. Uh, I'm going to, we had a number of questions that were kind of like this. I'm kind of. Uh, congealing them into one. Uh, what did you get for Christmas? It yeah, was essentially a, the yeah, question. There were specific type things on this. We're just going to say, what did you get for Christmas? Yes. You, you go ahead and start. Um, well, uh, I got a really cool book of on-set, uh, behind-the-scenes John Carpenter photography from Chris. Uh, yeah, I, also- I, almost, I was in the process of buying that for myself, and I went... Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. What else? What? Oh, I got uh, – uh, I got – actually, this is funny. My aunt's sort of – I guess you could say re-gifted because she had actually given me this before when I was a kid. But she found my old Pee-wee's Playhouse playset and and sent it to me and it had a lot of the original like figures and everything See, I too. didn't even realize there was an actual sold Pee-wee's Playhouse playset. Yeah. I had no idea that that was in existing. Yeah, and it's really it's really cool. So I actually have it set up right now in my front room. It's all like open and all the little figures are That's out. Awesome. Yeah, it's 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 pretty outstanding. Um I got a lot of great Blu-rays. Uh, I got uh, Tai Chi Master was actually one that I had asked oh, for that I got. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a getter. So I got that as well. I can't believe I'm blank. I'll let you go, and maybe I'll think of something in the interim. Well, Brian got me Hello. like one of my most treasured childhood toys long since lost to the ages because I literally loved the thing to pieces. Um, <laughs> that's uh, the way it works, yeah. Yeah, I fucked it till it was in like, little <laughs> shards. No, I didn't do that. But Which was the first line-release Spider-Man action figure. Uh, now, this there was a figure before that that was called like Action Dude or something like that. Some generic <laughs> title that they released a Spider-Man mod kit for that yeah. came out in like 1967. So it was like a suit and a mask. You had to slide over this other previously existing figure. Right, right, but The right. first actual released Spider-Man action figure, this is it. And From uh, Mego, I believe is the name of the yeah, company. Yeah, it's like Mego Toys. Mego Toys, yeah. Uh, I had this exact same one. It's got like a fabric suit yep. and everything. You with a little button on the back, yeah. you know. So he doesn't get cold. Yeah, and if you want to see him naked, there you go. There, there you have it. If, if that's really your fetish, <laughs> uh, go for it. I, I was a big fan of this this uh, Spider Man growing up. I, mean, I think I had like six cakes in a row on my birthday that were all Spider Man. It was immediately post the Scooby Doo years. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes, 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 <laughs> but yes. Really cool. And one of those immediate recognition. Oh my God, I know what this is. <laughs> Great present. Um, the big present I got this year was a PlayStation Four. Hey, my brother and I got an Xbox One. Hey, oh, Christmas. Uh, see, that's inconvenient as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> I guess I'll be playing online with Randy Turner then. Or not Turner. Why do I keep calling Randy him? Lander? Randy Lander. Randy, Randy who the fuck is Randy, Randy Turner? Randy Turner is a really famous musician that's now dead, sadly, for a band called The Big Boys that was here in Austin. So it'll be real messed up yeah. if you play with that guy online. Yeah, well, you know, the PlayStation 4 is just that much more powerful than the Xbox One. And I was just thinking of like a... You can actually um, play with dead people. A, a uh, next-gen gaming version of that twilight zone episode where you're playing like you see his gamer tag and you're playing and then you go and his like controllers draped over a, a semi 
Cemetery. Wasn't that an episode of Black Mirror? I don't it fucking know. Like it would be. <laughs> uh, um, I, you know, it's. I would say I'm really enjoying it so far, except that the PSN network has been down because of a bunch of fucking douchebag hackers who are shutting down the pl- play, shut down the PlayStation network for the lols. Fuck, fuck. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> fuck, fuck you royally. Seriously, what a dick move. Um, if you had had a good reason for it, I'd go, you know what, I may not agree, but at least you think you have a good reason. But to do it just for fun, I want to ruin everyone's Christmas. Wow. I hope you get fucked hard in the ass in prison. Bonk, bonk! <laughs> uh, but I did, thankfully, have a game I didn't require to be online for, so I got to play on a Grand Theft Auto V that nice. I came with. And that's fun. Talking yeah. about fucking in the ass is, you know, a yeah. lot of... A lot of that going on in that game with as, as you tend to talk about a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I got a couple different games like Gloom, Cthulhu Gloom. Nice. Yeah, really, really cool. Um, lots of graphic novels, including the reboot or the remastered version, basically, of Arkham Asylum, which is one of my favorite ever nice. like graphic novels. Uh, Grant nice. Morrison and Dave McCann. Um, a couple movies, Guardians of the Galaxy, which I didn't. Because Fox is a... Uh, uh, I don't get. We don't get anything for Fox, and for whatever reason, Marvel has stopped sending all superhero movies out. Fun, funny enough, I went to a Christmas party and got Guardians in a white elephant that I like viciously. Like I played that game like a Lannister. Who the hell traded off their copy of Guardians of the Galaxy? At this party, nobody. See, I understood that white elephant was you were supposed to bring a an ugly gift or a, a silly gift. It depends on the kind of party. No, this party, everybody else brought something awesome, and I was like, ha whoever gets stuck with mine is a loser, uh, and I'm taking Guardians. See, I've often said, like, I think that White Elephant parties need to say beforehand what the rules are. Yes, are I they agree. all gag gifts, or are they no gag gifts? Right. It should be one or the other. Because otherwise, somebody ends up feeling awkward at a party. You know what? It was still, like, my, my, it, and this is me, because, like, my awkward gag gift was still a Blu-ray copy of Shockwaves. So, you know, <laughs> that's still pretty good. It's still a thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I should mean, also if Jason Murphy had been there. He would have been happy. to Right. Get it. Right. Uh, I should I should also mention, by the way, that I got a couple of great gifts from fans. I got uh, a a Iron Man three nightlight that you put on the wall. That's like it looks like Iron Man's head is like burst through the wall. It's really cool. And then I got a, uh, a house Baratheon Christmas ornament. Nice. So fans thank you. Fans. Send me anything. Well, fuck you. <laughs> Except for Josh Gripman. But he sent me something as just a friend because we let him stay in our house. For, oh, well, there you last go. Weekend. So win win. Sent me seconds by Brian Liam Alley. Nice. Which is pretty cool, which I've not read yet, but I look forward to. Uh, I say one of the other guests I was really happy to get was the the Vincent Price collection volume one. Oh, yes. Because I had gotten two, but not one. And one is like two is great. One is still one is the, the best. better yeah, of yeah, the two. Yeah. Uh, so I was really, really excited to get that. But honestly, it's just a big stack of really awesome crap that I got. And I'm really thankful to everyone who sent me awesome stuff. Good times. Basically, my sister and my girlfriend. Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah. Well, we're going to close the uh, letterbox for the week. Thanks for your questions. And we're going to move on to the reviews. And reminding you yet again that everything we talk about will have an Amazon link here on the page. If you click on that link and get to Amazon, even if you don't buy that item, by getting to Amazon via that link, anything you buy benefits us and we appreciate it. And we're going to start with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. God, I wish they didn't make this because they fucked up the whole series. Fuck you, Michael Bay. You are a douchebag. In my mind, and I know this isn't popular, this series has been fucked ever since I made it into an animated show. That animated show is not bad. Come yeah, on, man. How old were you when you were watching Don't worry this? about that. Don't worry about that. It's <laughs> not bad. Th- that's all I'm saying is just that we had very different takes on it. 
Yes. When this year, when the, when it started as a com- black and white comic book, it was a satire of the X Men and a bloody adult satire at that. And you know, eventually somebody said, "Hey, you want to make fuck tons and fuck tons of money?" And they went, "Yes," just like I would have in that circumstance. And that, while that may and be true, super watered down for kids version of this otherwise awesome thing. While that may be true, yeah. when you get to the point where they made the first feature film, uh-huh. you have to respect that thing. Like even if you don't like the property at all, the fact that they got real martial artists and the fucking Jim Henson studio to make turtle like suits that were like fully I've not like, actually the... seen the, the movie so I oh, can't dude. I can't comment. Dude, even like like I said, even if you're not a fan of the property, like the way they made that movie is so amazing and like they're actually you know, it's a Jim Henson puppet that you can do martial arts in. Right. How fucking awesome is that? And I realize that it's completely ridiculous for me to criticize a, a kid's cartoon about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles just in comparison to something that came before it. And say, no, but that stuff sucks. Because there's lots of stuff I like because I saw it when I was a kid. And otherwise sure. have no defense for it at all. And, and I'll admit, you know? I, it was a huge part of my childhood. Not just the cartoon and the movie, but like I had all that. Like, I'm slowly actually recovering a lot of my original Ninja Turtle collection. Yeah. Like, I think, because one of the things I really loved about it as a kid, and I realized even more as an adult, is I love the chances they took. Like, they made some really gross... Like really disgusting characters and sold them to kids, and I'm like, of, that's pretty awesome. There's lots of goo and snot and ooze. Yeah, what have you. But, yeah, um, it's like the garbage pail kids, but with more martial arts. So well, the only film I'd seen before this was the previous release, which was a CG film, which wasn't which, terrible. The CG was good, but I wasn't really crazy about the movie itself. No, it wasn't it was kind of dull, actually. but it wasn't bad. And I tell you what. This movie has decided that what it's going to do is basically use motion capture to do a combination of CGI and live action, which on the surface sounded like, okay, that might work. But the problem is everything else with this movie. Uh, First of all, I will say that I don't really like the new character design, and it has has less to do with the fact that it's CG and more to do with just, like, cosmetic changes they made. Like, one of the turtles wears these giant, like... They've played up the uh, like the the different character archetypes so much that the nerdy Donatello literally has giant Coke bottle glasses, yeah. and they've all got these like douche tribal armbands going up. And I'm like, what is what is this crap? Douchebags, you have found your gods, it's pretty much. <laughs> and of course, you know we have uh, Megan Fox playing uh, April O'Neil, who was the worst CG in this whole film, right? Oh my God, she didn't look real at all. The turtles looked more real than Megan Fox. She did. makes no attempt throughout the entire movie to show an emotion. I mean, this is like... I'm not sure she can. Maybe she, she can't. She got the feeling like she had... It felt like she had so much Botox in her that her face was not capable of making movement. Could very well be. I, I suspect that might have been it. Because th- there's. I've seen her act in stuff where she showed at least the modicum of humanity. But here, she makes, like, Brent Spiner's data look like, you know, he's emoting like crazy by yeah. comparison. Yeah, <laughs> Look like the leave him alone kid from YouTube. Oh, my God, she's so bad. And the thing, she talks about this film so excitedly, and you're like, well, then why didn't you put any effort into it when you were making it? Right. I don't. I mean, I don't know what's going on with this girl's personal life. Maybe she's really fucked up on something right now. But this is the work of somebody who does not deserve to be called an actress. Right, right. It's and, just that bad of a performance. And on top of that, the action sequences, because of all the CG, again, like, when you don't root it to reality, I just don't give a shit anymore. Like, it, it doesn't work for me. And especially when, you know, I, and again, I should say, I'm not saying Michael Bay directed this, but come on, he probably... Like, the whole thing screams Michael Bay directed it. Yeah, yeah. he's got Jonathan Liebsman, who is a Hollywood yes-man, to actually direct it. hollowed him out and yes. wears his skin. <laughs> <laughs> that could very well be. So I there's mean, a... Liebsman is not 
like had a completely awful career. No, but he's not one of those guys either that you look at and you go, oh, clearly you're a guy who's, you know, making his calling his own shots in Hollywood. Okay, my mistake. He's had a completely awful career. I was going to say, like, Battle of Los Angeles, Wrath of the Titans. Texas the te- Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning. Uh, Darkness Falls, yeah. No, I- my apologies. Yeah, this guy's out. <laughs> I was thinking of somebody else. I apologize. I was thinking of the guy who did The Hulk, like Louis Leterrier. Yeah, no, Leterrier's fine. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> like, no, no Lee Zun is terrible. He's a whore. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. No, this this movie just, like, it, can, it makes the characters so dumb, and it makes them obvious reboots. It's like, oh, we're going to appeal to kids who use youtube and facebook and it's like just leave the fucking characters alone like that doesn't you don't need to change that shit and then will um uh, will arnett is in this as uh Vern, who was kind of april o'neill's cameraman in the cartoon so they like brought that over but there's such a dick to him needlessly throughout the whole movie is he the same cameraman who follows Ernest around <laughs> yes he's that Vern. <laughs> he's they are such a dick to like He's he's kind of a like he kind of has an ego in the movie, but like he loses that really quickly, and they keep fucking with the guy to the point that the running joke throughout the movie is, "Look how much we fucked up your van." And at the end, he's like, "Oh, I got a new van. Everything's fine." And then they blow up that van. Dude, like you have no sympathy for the turtles here at all in the way they treat this poor guy. He yeah, is, like yeah, has a little bit of ego at first, but quickly they kind of push past that. You're like, you know what? He's just a regular guy. He's trying to make a living. Whatever. At worst, he's a little like. Maybe a little too touchy-feely with Megan Fox, but not to an extensive... No, not to a creepy level. Not to a creepy level. And then they're just like... I was like, dudes, you suck. Yeah. You're like the... How are you... In what context are you heroes? You pretty much are just fucking up... Half shell or otherwise. You're just kind of fucking up other people's shit throughout this whole movie. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the main problem is they focus too much on the teenage part. Yeah. Like, they really made them stupid kids. Especially Michelangelo. He is so fucking obnoxious in this movie that I'm like... I mean, he was always kind of an out there surfery. Like the, he was the he was the party dude as the cartoon. I don't want to seem racist, but except for the guy with the coke bottle lenses, I couldn't tell the difference between the turtles. That's that's amphibious. You're an amphibious. I, I've I, always said that about I'm you. Sorry, I just the only color you see is green, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know how it is. I know how it's, it is. It's yeah, it's mammal privilege speaking right there. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I, well, you know William Fickner, who I, I usually like, is is in here as as the Shredder character, and uh, there's just not a, there's just not much good I can say about this movie, and that really disappoints me because I should be this movie's target audience. Yeah, I mean, it was I'm not this movie's target audience, and it was only 101 minutes, and it felt like 400 minutes. It really did. It felt so long. It really, really uh, did. Oh, my God. This film is just dull, and the action is lame. There's, like, this is on everybody's worst of list. Well, Everybody it, worst of list of the year. Everybody put this on it. I, I think I said this during the review, but the one argument that I always get tired of hearing is when we criticize something like this and people say, well, what did you expect from a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie? Fuck you. I expected people to do their fucking jobs. Yeah, you know what? That's what I expected. That'd be like if, like, after all the Marvel films, they put out one we didn't like a lot and then someone saying the same thing. Yeah. would be like... I expect it to be like the other ones. I'm yeah. sorry. Like, at least in terms of quality, to see, like, you cared. Someone went through this and say, hey, let's try and make a good movie. It Just because something... I mean, the Lego movie is awesome. Boom. Who the fuck thought that? And would anybody been su- that surprised if it hadn't been? No. But the bar has now been set yeah, higher. Yeah, I think Lord Miller... Has it com- been set higher for 
this type of thing. Yeah, and I think Lord Miller, I think that's a great point, because Lord Miller had completely decimated that argument forever. Yeah. What did I expect? I expected effort. I expected I ex- somebody to put work into yeah, it. Yeah, I expected yeah. someone to try and, and make this unique, try to make it interesting, and for the love of God, play by your own fucking rules. How many times do I have to say this? You can sell me on whatever bullshit story you want as long as you stick to it, but when you go out of your way to tell the audience things like if this vial hits the ground, everyone in a ten block radius is gonna die, and then it does, and nothing happens, Fuck you, you're a lazy screenwriter who should not have gotten paid 400 grand to write this piece of shit. You can do anything you want with a geek as long as you play with them. That it, was Lieutenant Spock. Yes. That's, <laughs> that, what? Yes, all of that is true. <laughs> I'm confused, but I agree. Dr. Spock said you could do anything you want with a child as long as you play with them. So wow, you, making a joke. you went like deep track nerd on that. I did, you went, I really did. Not only, not only did you go OG Star Trek, you went like 1970s baby raising books too. I did, I did. I well went done. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> Much more well done than anything in this movie, which I cannot I, fucking I, I recommend. I will say I appreciate the fact that the Blu-ray comes with a turtle mask, like a little wrap around your eyes turtle mask. Okay, that's a nice little addition. I wish I liked this movie enough to care. Or even the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, because then I'd be like, oh, cool, little turtle mask. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. It would have been cooler if it came with an original action figure, and each Blu-ray came with a different one. I'm just saying. They pulled up to the house with Megan Fox all gagged and hogtied and go, do what you want with her. Let's not not go into that No, I wouldn't do anything sexual with her. At this point, I'd probably bury her in a hole somewhere and say, never act again. Wow, you're going to do that thing from Creepshow where you bury her up to her neck on a beach? Yes. Okay, yeah. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I am the Leslie Nielsen of digital noise. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've been saying that. In more than one way, in that I'm the old guy and that I make lots of terrible puns. Surely you can't mean that. (laughs) I'm not. No, I I mean it, surely. <laughs> uh, there, there's uh, the DVD copy comes with as well as well as a uh, iTunes digital copy. Uh, there's a, a a bunch of featurettes about how they did the turtles, which like I said, don't look terrible. Render, no, click, in render. In terms of CG, they actually look pretty good. I got to say, they look realistic. That's the best thing I can say about this movie. They, they look as realistic as mutant Ninja Turtles can look. Yeah, no, they they really do though. That's the thing. It's like this is the most realistic they've made the turtles look. More realistic than Megan Fox. So there you go. That's true. <laughs> See, I can't argue with that because that's entirely true. Uh, there's various making of stuff and on here and all that. I mean, like, I guess there's enough stuff here that if you were do like the Turtles enough to want to even suffer through this, that you won't be displeased by picking it up on Blu-ray. Yeah, that's that's about the best we can say for that. And moving on to another uh, theatrical release this week is This Is Where I Leave You. So goodbye, everyone. See, See you next week. No, wait, hold on, come back. That's oh, just fuck. the title. Oh, of the, all right. That's just the title of the Blu-ray. I'm back in my chair here. Uh, this is a Sean Levy uh, directed and uh, directed, produced, but not written by uh, American comedy drama. And I think in trailers, sold, oversold it as a comedy. Because this is really one of those kind of dramedies about the broken family. Yeah, and it's it's a lot more poignant than it is laugh-out-loud funny at any yeah, given point. That's my point exactly. Yeah. And Jason Bateman once again proving that he is so much better than a lot of the material he gets offered uh, is the lead here come, coming home to find his wife cheating with his boss, played by Dak Shepard, who's largely playing Dak Shepard like he always does. Yeah. Um, and he moves out, and his sister calls him, played by the wonderful, who we always love, Tina Fey. Love, 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 love. Uh, to say that their father has died. And their mother, played hysterically by a breast-enhanced Jane Fonda. Oh, boy. Boy, I'm almost glad I didn't see this with Corey, because he loves lusting after the old ladies. But... How many workout tapes do you have to do to get a rack like that? I'm That's tell- what I want to know. They're not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's fake, real, who cares? Did you see those things? 
<laughs> um, Chi says, look, your father, I know this sounds out of character, even though he was not terribly observant Jew, but she wants the family. He wanted the family to come and sit Shiva, which means staying for a whole week, basically just sitting there with each other. Yeah. Like not doing anything, but sitting there. What, what he basically in his will said through the use of, of uh, Hebrew tradition is uh, do a bottle episode yeah. for seven days. You, you guys are going to get along or show help me. I'll come back to life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you've got a great little cast there of people together. You Like I said, Tina Fey, Jason Bateman, Corey Stoll, one of those actors who's wonderful. People still don't know by name. He was probably best remembered as Ernest Hemingway in uh, Midnight in Paris. Midnight which he did an amazing job. Yeah, 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 the best part of that entire film. Uh, uh, he's married to Catherine Hahn, who's always funny. And and the last time she teamed up with uh, Bateman was in Bad Words, which was amazing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam Driver, who's become the new sort of like go-to guy for a lot of stuff, who's going to be in the new Star Wars films. Yeah. Most people know him from Girls, but he was also inside Inside Lewin Davis. You might know him if you are an archaeologist and routinely dig up old Mayan urns. Because that's kind of what his face looks it like. It looks like an old Mayan urn. Yeah, yeah, it's like I think I saw your head in a museum once, and they found you at you know somewhere he is Machu Picchu. An odd looking guy. Yeah, but the ladies love him. They so do. I don't. There's no more power to him for taste. I guess. Dude, I'm like I, seriously, over Chris Hemsworth and Tim Hiddleston. You're I am all him? for the weird looking guy getting the ladies. Okay, yeah, I'm true. all for that. Well, I mean, he's physically he's in good shape. So yeah, that sounds like work. So I'm like. A, <laughs> We're busy watching movies, I'm damn it. I'm going to stick with the funny guy thing, okay? <laughs> uh, but he's the youngest brother who's, who's you know, hasn't got his shit together noticeably, even though for some reason he's dating a much older woman uh, His originally who was originally his therapist, played by the lovely and really funny Connie Britton. Uh, yep. It's... A nice collection of people that also includes like Timothy Oilfent is an extra neighbor who had brain damage who used to be like who used to be the boyfriend of Tina Fey before he became basically the guy from Memento. And it's a really actually like surprisingly sweet performance. Very pointed in the elephant performance, yeah. And uh, uh, Rose Byrne as kind of the one that got away for Jason Bateman coming back to his hometown. Three guesses as to how that storyline ends. <laughs> right. Okay. So it's not to say that there isn't some degree of predictability about the where where this all ends up although it's still not a completely spoon-fed hollywood yay everything's tied up in a neat little bow and everything's no, wonderful no, no, no. type ending and there's a twist involving the mom at the very end that had me laughing my ass off yeah no that like that was an awesome little comedy moment that was definitely a left field thing if you watch a lot of these movies or my left wing thing yeah right <laughs> uh my my dad came in as i was watching and he goes what the hell? Are you watching a white box movie? And I was like, no, not quite. And that's actually what, what sets it apart is because there are a lot of uh, tropes in here that you've seen a hundred times before in indie comedies. But the thing that I always – I never have a problem necessarily with movies that have been done before as long as you do something new with it. Yeah. As long as you give me a reason to watch this over the movies that you might resemble. And, and this does because these specific characters, these actors and the way that they interact, that's not something I've seen in another movie. So that – I totally accept that. And some of the things that happen along the way are really end up throwing interesting wrenches into the mix. Like, you know, Bateman in another movie it would have been enough that it was like, okay, you caught your wife cheating on you. Now here's your like entrance into a situation where you're broken, but you, and you need, you know, finding a new woman is like the beginning of the story. But here it's complicated by finding out that, Oh shit, you impregnated your wife, your ex-wife, and so, so she's going to have your baby. Mm. <laughs> what now, bitches? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Lots of little interesting wrenches thrown into the more traditional storylines in here. Like, I mean, like I said, like Tina Fey having the, like, ex-boyfriend out there uh, that there's no way she could have a normal relationship with. Yeah. Like, weird things like that. Um, I also like just the fact these actors are not people we're used to seeing work together, and they play off each other really well. Very convincing when they're angry, very convincing when you see those, you know, like the bloodlines coming together, like, oh, we're more similar than we thought. Yeah. Um, And there's a whole bit with their rabbi. And like I said, none of these guys are particularly observant. Played by John Raffio! Yeah, Ben Schwartz, uh, who they just fuck with constantly. Yeah. They call him Boner. so funny. Yeah, because he's like, apparently was the nerd of the group when they were all growing up. And they still, yeah, they still just poke fun of him constantly. And he gets so infuriated. And, and, and it's funny, too, because, to. because the way he leads uh, the, oh, my God, I can't remember the, sorry, I'm sorry, I can't remember the Hebrew word for, like, it's not mass, obviously, because that's Catholic. But the way he leads his congregation, Seminar? yeah, is is very much the way John Raphael would. Like, he's just up there like. Hey, let's get excited. I said everyone get excited. Looks up there like an MC at the fucking Oscars. Like it's ridiculous. But I will say this. One of the things that really bugs me about movies like this most of the time is that there's so much hatred between people in the same family that it's like actively unpleasant to watch. Right. And you're like, I don't even care if you guys work out your differences. I don't think you should be in the same room with each other. And in this, it's like, yes, they have differences. Yes, they're at each other's throats. But you totally buy that at the end of the day, they all do love each other and they are a real family. I mean, with the exception of Dak Shepard, this is a huge crew of really talented people who are generally underused yes. in, in film. And a lot of which have not had a, a lot of these have not had a chance to be in something quite this in ensemble. Even Tina Fey, who's used to more focused on her character films. Yeah. Um, and it works. I yeah. think it works for everybody in here. Uh, and credit where credit is due, props to Sean Levy, who's a director I have never liked, but managed... I mean, you talk about the guy who did The Internship, Real Steel, Date Night, all the Night at the Museum movies, the Pink Panther remake, and Cheaper by the Dozen. Like, not a collection of films that anybody should waste their time with, in my opinion. I liked Real Steel. I, I know a lot of people like Real Steel. I fucking hate Do that. Do they? I thought I was on the... No, no, dude. Believe me. There. Every time I bring up my problems with Real Steel, like, oh, I bet robots. I'm like, oh, yeah, robots. Um, <laughs> that's great. Uh, but... <laughs> but he, yeah no 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 you're you're right you're absolutely right um like the only other films i've seen that on here that are any good that he was involved with or stuff he was just a producer for exactly uh, yeah as a director i just don't think he's like funny this is a completely true story and i wish it wasn't because it sounds like i'm just making this up to make a point <laughs> i literally saw someone buy a five dollar blu-ray of the internship on christmas eve at the heb around the corner from me oh my god that is like the that is but to me that was so perfect for my opinion of sean levy i'm like that's exactly the people who should be buying Sean and Levy that was, movies. That, that, most of his films are that kind of mindless garbage. This is surprising that it's such a step above. And a lot, of, it's a great cast and a great, I guess, a great writer. I mean, it's not Levy who's, who's the writer here. Uh, I'll try and look up here real quick, see what else this guy has done. It was Jonathan Tropper. Uh, he also wrote the novel on which this movie is based, so I yeah, think so that might have... It looks like this is kind of the beginning of his uh, screenwriting career, so maybe that's... Well, I mean, there's there's something inherently you know beneficial about if you wrote the book... Oh, he's the creator of the show Banshee, which is awesome! Well, there you go. <laughs> there, there you have it. That's really actually kind of surprising, but... Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and then you know, top all that off with Michael Giacchino's score, who is a guy that 
when he really needs to hit you with the you know the emotion of the moment, he knows exactly. And people, some people call it manipulative. I understand that argument, but for me, I think Giacchino knows exactly how to get the maximum emotional response out of somebody without agree. it feeling manipulative. I think he's one of the best uh, movie scorers, scorers. composers. There you go. Scorers. 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 Sounds like you are having a steero. <laughs> um, there's some nice extras in here. The funniest titled one of the week is one of these called "The Gospel According to Rabbi Boner," which <laughs> 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 is them talking to the writer about the inspiration for that character. Who and Ben Schwartz also comes in and makes some comments about the part as well. But um, there's a series of four short behind-the-scene featurettes, thirteen and a half minutes. Of deleted and extended scenes. That's pretty cool. That's a lot. Uh, commentary with Sean Lever- Levy and Jonathan Tropper, the writer, and a, dis- and a four and a half minute featurette with a discussion with them about how they got together to make this film. Pretty good set of, of extras for a film that, the type of film that usually doesn't get this many extras. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, actually, yeah, I, I, I really recommend this. I thought this was, was quite good. Yeah, not I mean, everybody's cup of tea, clearly. Not Elliot's no, cup of tea. No, I think, yeah, I think this was the movie that he railed against. And I, I watched I this knowing that, that and I just, I kept waiting for something offensive to happen, and I, you know, I don't have the same baggage as everybody else who sees movies. Yeah. But I was just like, I, I don't know, I don't yeah. care what's so know what's, yeah. It happens, shit happens. But I, I, you know, I will say this probably wouldn't end up on like my top ten list because, well, I should say it didn't because we've already done those. True. Uh, but you know, it, it was still. I, I think it was a really solid movie, and I think it's a lot better than most of the sort of family rom-droms that get shoved down our throat throughout the year. So. Very true. All right. It sounds like faint praise, but this is genuinely a fun little film. Indeed, indeed. So this is where we'll leave that, and we will move uh, on to Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever. Also this, known as Chris's Best Movie Ever Made. Yeah, the movie's so bad that it ate our commentary for it. <laughs> yeah, we actually recorded a commentary with Elliot and JC for this, and about halfway through, for whatever reason, it just stopped working. I don't know why. I was going to the audio, there's just no audio there, which is a shame. I'm going to try to here insert a little bit of the audio, and I'm just going to insert like a minute or so of the audio here, so at least you know that we did it. So here's that audio for Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever commentary that you'll never get to hear. So, if you do, you might be treated to high-speed car chases. Yeah, high-speed car chases. Hey, it's Toons' just driving cat. <laughs> I, too, like SNL They stole a joke from old yeah. SNL. <laughs> this, that's Bad Boys 2. That was, yeah, that's Bad Boys 2. This may that be the not. best film I've ever seen. I'm just saying it now. I wish I could fire you. Stop making me Anyway, I only mentioned those. Isn't Grumpy Cat a dude? No, he's a, she's actually a girl. Okay, her real name is Tartar Sauce. Oh yeah, I don't care. Yeah, you started talking and then I stopped caring. <laughs> Part of the reason she looks so weird is because she's the the cat equivalent of Down syndrome. Mm. Not even kidding. Wow. <laughs> which, which is why I think her owners originally named her Tartar Sauce because it's spelled T A R D E R. So wait, like. It's okay to make billions of dollars off a of frittata cat, but if my cousin with Downs, I want to like take him on the vaudeville circuit. I'm the monster. I just, I'm so happy we can celebrate Christmas like this together, guys. Yeah. So Grumpy Cat the movie has it's one of those it's one of those films with the 
the warm, spittily moistness of fellatio, like, fan service. How are, you're making this sound like the best thing ever. I know. If you're a Grumpy Cat fan, you will probably think this is the greatest thing ever. That's me! I, who was a person who don't understand the fucking appeal of Grumpy Cat to save my life... Could not understand the appeal of this movie to save my life. How ironic that you are the grumpy cat of this review. I guess. Yeah, no, you're right. But I I just don't get, like, I understand. Oh, it's, it's kind of funny. He looks kind of funny. But when you think about the fact that, how much money did you say you told me this? How much money is it that Grumpy Cat has made for his okay, owner now? No, first off, like, this was announced and the owners immediately responded by saying that's total bullshit. But then refused to counter with what the actual, what the actual number is. So I'm thinking it is true. But supposedly they've made $100 million off this cat. Now, now, there is a lot of Grumpy Cat merchandise out there. Yeah. It's not out of the question. The guy who, made, who does the Ask a Ninja site yearly income is in the six figures off of Ask a Ninja merchandise. Please become a subscriber to one of us. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm I'm eating saying. fucking ramen noodles and like trying to decide which bill I'm going to pay this Wait, month. Exactly. <laughs> like, Fuck come on, how, guys. Where is this internet money and how do we get some of it? <laughs> the mysterious. We need to be like the Indiana Jones of the internet chasing after the lost arc of the internet money. It might. It may just, maybe it's just that I'm jealous then. Maybe that's what it is. But I really just don't understand the appeal of Grumpy Cat. And what this movie is is, is not like a Phil Lord, Chris Miller, clever attempt to make that into something else. Yeah, it's better. The, mm, what? How dare you? <laughs> no, all this is is like a, a slap together, like shot on video. Feels like a 90s after school special, the way it's lit and shot. And then every once in a while, they superimpose someone holding up Grumpy Cat into the frame to like tell little jokes. The only thing this movie really has going for it, honestly, is Aubrey Plaza voicing Grumpy Cat. Okay, now that is definitely the strongest part of this whole thing, uh, Aubrey Plaza. And like to her credit, she when she realized they weren't going to do mouth movements or anything like that, it was just her talking over whenever the cat was on screen, she was like, well... I'm going to just make up my own shit for 90% of this then. And just, and his interviews have said, I just thought about it like mystery science theater. Ultimately, I was just going to say whatever the fuck I felt like saying, and they would keep what they wanted and lose what they didn't. So there is some genuinely funny Aubrey Blaza stuff in here. And when you match that with the always hysterical and charming face of grumpy cat, sorry, Brian, but always? it's just, it's a fact. I can prove okay. it. I can prove it with long division. <laughs> you can prove it with YouTube hits. <laughs> I can. Uh, no, I'm, you, you know what? If we if Grumpy Cat came to us and said, "I want to be part of your site," we'd sign him without even yeah. twice about. It. Are you kidding? Of course I fucking would. <laughs> I won't get it, but I'll take the money. <laughs> That's true of some of our shows already. <laughs> <laughs> what money are we getting? <laughs> Except without the money. I was like, what? Uh, the story here is Grumpy Cat is a cat living in a pet shop in a mall that's going to be closed. She's bitter because she's Grumpy Cat because everybody takes the cute animals. But f is surprised to find out there's a little girl named Crystal spelled C-H-R. What? Crystal? Well, before we move on, we should explain to our younger listeners what a shopping mall is. I uh, know what a shopping mall It is. was this place of commerce where you actually had to get in a car and go to another location to buy various goods. Only notable historically for uh, there being zombies in it in a George Romero film. Yes, and then a Jason Lee in it in a Kevin Smith film. Sure. Uh, but the little girl, for reason never explained, the 12-year-old girl, can understand Grumpy Cat's thoughts, and Grumpy Cat can understand her. And so at first they don't like each other, but then they become friends because... Uh, the script says so. This cat, this dog, expensive dog, who's one of the funniest parts of this movie as well, voiced by Steven, Steven Stan. Even you admitted the dog was funny. Yes, I, the dog was funny, and my favorite part about the dog is it's clear that they had wanted Patrick Warburton at some point yeah. to do the voice. And so they got somebody and told him, try and sound like that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, but he's kidnapped from the pet shop, and so they become involved 
involved the, the little girl and Grumpy Cat and trying to catch the kidnappers and poor like Daniel Roebuck who like is like man I was in much bigger movies than yeah, this. why am I why am I in the Grumpy Cat movie because shit hasn't worked out the way you thought it would yeah I know what that's like <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean this is a Lifetime channel so lowered expectations oh and it's bad I'm sorry it's bad even for a Lifetime movie no see I don't agree with that some oh my have said god that, but I I've seen some Lifetime movies and I assure you this is better than most of but them but the, the thing is like I mean Plaza- production quality wise you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's yeah. that's basically what I'm talking about. And also, like, there's stuff in the script that I'm just like, why is there this entire second story about an ugly sweater party? There's nothing to do with Grumpy nothing Cat. Nothing to do with it. There's and it's whole, so uninteresting. There's a whole side story with the girl's parents that are like, I think it's only there because someone said, well, where the fuck are these girls' parents? Why don't they care what their little girl is doing? Someone's concerned that parents watching Lifetime Channel would be upset. That because they, that was going to be the biggest problem with this, obviously. <laughs> And it belongs. It has nothing to do with anything else in the movie. It's just there to fill out the time more than anything. But other than that, it's the best movie ever made. I think yeah. we can agree on you, that. You, right? you just you're saying that just because you know it's giving me an aneurysm oh, every that's time you do it. Absolutely true. I'm like oh. that hacker group. That's for the lols. That's <laughs> for the lols. <laughs> no, I actually did kind of have fun with this. Anyway, I mean, there are some really funny things in this movie, which surprise the hell out of you every time they happen because about seventy percent of it is not funny at all. <laughs> I think you're being generous, but okay. But it's, I, I, but it's Grumpy fine. Cat, and if you do like, if you really still awe a Grumpy Cat, you're going to find something to like it. I would agree with that. If you're a big Grumpy Cat fan, you will enjoy this. That is entirely true. Yeah. And, you, and a certain point of that enjoyment is this ironic detachment enjoyment, but still. A certain part of the enjoyment for me was the ironic detachment of every pop tab, tab on the top of every Lone Star that I drank while we were doing this. And there were quite a few. Commentary. Like, I had to... Yeah. yeah. They, they just kept going down. Yeah, I just poured poison directly onto my liver until it was funny to me. <laughs> anyway, that's mm. Grumpy Cat's freaking grumpy. I am Grumpy Cat. That's funny. Um, we're going to move on to the device, which will go down in history as having the most blatantly deceptive DVD cover I have ever fucking seen. It has, so has nothing to do with anything else in the movie. Have except, you seen the back? Except that some people want to touch a little look, silver Look ball. at the back of this. It's wow, like, there's nothing like that ever There's a big full-on fucking robot alien apocalypse on the back of this box that nothing, never happens. Nothing like that happens. This is a micro-budget of a film that is masquerading as being something that's a lot bigger than it is. Yeah, it's masquerading as, like, big-budget sci-fi when really it's, like, low-budget family drama with a couple of scenes that therefore qualify it to be sci-fi. And the story here is uh, two sisters, Abby and Rebecca, uh, haven't seen each other in a really long time since apparently something traumatic happened in their youth and and they've had difficulty dealing with it. But they decide to get back together again. They're reunited. They take a trip to spread their mother's ashes at a at a lake nearby where they used to be. Their their family cabin. Yeah. Uh, but while they're there, uh, something is going on in the woods. There's they're being summoned by this strange silver spear. spear yeah. Okay. Thing. So basically, they haven't seen each other in a long time. There's this really ugly story from the one sister's past they're still dealing with and then while they're at the cabin they find this sphere and it's like oh boy a giant ball bearing uh and then they go back home and the sister's like living with them for a while and this giant ball bearing starts to have a weird effect on the husband who turns into a raging dick bag and it's probably check this out history channel because of aliens yeah well uh, in this film's credit it's the first film that involves aliens that we've seen in a long time that wasn't the exact same movie as all the others 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but I kind of wish terms, it had in been. In terms of aliens coming to Earth and them in a horror context, I mean, all the rest of them are just fire in the sky over and over and over well, and over and, and over. And it's funny because if you look at the box for this, that's exactly the movie it's trying to sell you. Right. It's trying to sell you a movie where aliens just come down and blow everything up. Yeah. And it's... That doesn't happen. It is trying to do something different, but only because it can't afford to do the other thing, I suspect. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Exactly. It's, like I said, super low budget, super poorly acted through a lot of it. Really bad, below television quality acting. Um, Yeah, don't buy into the box. No, please don't. It looks like a cool little film. This is not a cool little film. It gets really, really, really dumb. Um it doesn't even make sense by the end. And I feel like the reason it doesn't make sense is attributed to its low. But I feel like there's scenes that they needed to shoot to connect point A to point B. True. And they didn't get to because you get to the end, you're like, wait, what? How did you get there? What the fuck? Yeah, no. There was a lot of like, yeah, disconnect from me there. I felt like the scene missing. Yeah. <laughs> Inserted later. This is a Roger Corman film. Like they're trying to sell you it based on a box that has nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. And then the film itself is like missing pieces. I would say, hey, it worked. We saw it, but they sent it to us for free. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, no. It, they'll probably sell it to Netflix and more than make their money back and be like, see, that justifies us to make more. There, There's a whole like – wellspring of people who will go to Redbox and rent this movie based on the cover and be horribly disappointed. True. So don't judge a movie by its elaborate lie of a cover. Yeah, it's just a, a device to make you buy it. Yes, indeed. Well, now we're going to uh, we're going to descend into hell for a couple of devil films. Boy, that is weird. There were two films with the the devils. Yeah, right, it. right. The devil's getting very possessive. <laughs> or repossessive. Or repossessive, as the case may be. Yeah. So we're going to start with The Devil's Hand, which, in my opinion, is the better of the two devil movies yeah. this week. And it's funny that, um, the generally speaking, horror critics totally disagreed with us on this one. They went the exact opposite way with the two devil films. That they really? The other one better. And I was You've like, got to be fucking kidding me. I know. That was my reaction, because The Devil's Hand is a film that's almost a pretty good movie. It's so close. It's so close to being a really strong horror film. It, it falters... Uh, I think toward the end it falters and it goes for like the the dumb conventional Hollywood ending. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I have never seen a slasher film that is combined with like an exorcism film that takes place in a Amish community. Like it was really, really bizarre. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that it's a horror film set in an Amish community, not surrounding people who aren't Amish dealing with the Amish, but the Amish dealing with other Amish. I'm like, right. but in a horror scenario, what was the, there was only one other Amish horror film I could think of. It was an Ernest Borgnine film. Uh, Scream Factory put it out. Uh, I'll, I'll think of it. I'll think of it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, this one has Rufus Sewell as the father of uh, the family here. He's like a nice, a, a liberal foreign Amish community, if you will. Uh, and the community, when this, when the, his uh, daughter was born, basically decided going around uh call Meanie, who seems to not be able to play anything but villains these days. That's why his last name is, is Meanie. Meanie. Uh, that they're because of some ancient religious folk tale that one of these girls is going to grow up to end up being possessed by Satan and be the entrance of the Antichrist on the planet. So their solution is let's just kill them all. Uh, Rufus Sewell had stepped in, said, fuck you, this is ridiculous, you're a bunch of goddamn monkeys. Which, you know. to be fair, really? Is that a Scopes what? monkey trial reference? Pretty much. Okay. Uh, no, which is funny to me because if you think about it, Killing all the babies because of a prophecy is very Old Testament. Yeah. And efficient. And efficient. But that's only if you assume that there's any truth at all to said prophecy. Yeah. I think ultimately my problems with this film tied back to the fact that, like, 
wow, this would have been so much more interesting if we had just said, okay, this is absolute bullshit and yeah. get a slasher film. It works so much better as a slasher film than it does as a supernatural film. Yeah. Oh, Deadly Blessing. Sorry, Deadly that, Blessing. that was the name of the other, the Ernest Borgnine Amish horror film. But I will tell you this. If you look at this movie purely as a slasher film, yeah. what's interesting to me is that it's not an 80s slasher film. No. It's a 90s totally slasher a film. a 90s slasher film with the guy, a mysterious cloaked figure who's going around and killing the girls one at a time. And it does ask some interesting questions along the way, which is like, first off, who is the killer? There's a lot of people it could be. And the movie does a great job of making you rotate through the suspects, trying to decide who the killer actually is. Because, yeah. you know, the most obvious answer right from the start, I started being kind of exasperated going, OK, clearly it's this person. But then it becomes not so clear. I will say they had me guessing. And, and by the end, I was like, wow, I totally did not guess that. And it makes sense in the context of everything you've said. Yeah. So fair enough. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the way that like, you're wondering why is the person doing this? Right. Like, why is somebody killing all the girls? It works more than it doesn't. It's yeah. just that ultimately it gets too mired down in it wanting to be multiple things. Yeah. And, and it think- does that, it does that weird thing. Uh, speaking of nineties slashers where whenever she has a vision, it's in that weird, like, orange-brown stuttery... It looks like something out of a Pearl Jam video. Yeah, she's been having, like, little hallucinations along the way that you're like, wait, does this mean that she is, like, the choice of the devil? Or does it mean that she's fucking traumatized from shit? Exactly. Either could be true. Either either could be true. And I feel like, again, if it weren't for the ending of this film, which yeah. is so she's dopey... It's just too on-the-nose and dopey, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like this could have been... Because a lot of it does have to do with the idea of, like, challenging authority and how people use... Uh, a position of religious authority to to do really despicable things. And, yeah. like, that is, like, adding an actual horrific element from the w- real world on top of your, like, manufactured horror element yeah. is so interesting to and me. And then the ending diffuses that Everything. entirely. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so nothing you had interesting going on in this film actually meant shit. And also, if you think about it, the ending kind of endorses uh, molesting children. It kind of does. Which is not cool at it's all. It's really uh, it feels like the whole Inadvertently, of, but it It feels does. like maybe originally this had a different ending and somebody at the studio went no, 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 no. We're going to need something more like crazy. Like We need, yeah. we need something needs more. Needs to be bigger. Yeah, bigger and that somebody else, you know what? Fuck, fuck it. I'll write it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't take over at the last minute. fit with everything else. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, like the, the, the identity of the killer fits. It's just what happens after we find out the identity of the killer. Right. Practically right. the epilogue of the film. Exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the name of the, the thing they were trying to prevent coming into the world, the something kind, the... I don't remember. The, I feel like that would have been a better title, especially after Babadook did so well. Yeah. Uh, God, well, I'm trying That's to... the thing. The Babadook, a fascinating movie that ultimately left the identity of, like, you know, the existence of the supernatural completely ambiguous, where mm-hmm. you could look at the movie both ways and did it masterfully. Here's a film that had the opportunity to do something like that and make it really sell it and completely decided to go the cheap and easy way. Yeah, well, yeah. because, I mean, Babadook works either if you want to believe that it's metaphor or that it's supernatural. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like, it works either way. And I feel or, like... Or not even ha- metaphor, necessarily, but, like, watching the 
the steadily increasing shared schizophrenia of a mother and child. Right, right, right. Yeah. But I feel like the if you want to just believe that the monster exists as a metaphor for that, or if the monster was a real thing, right. that movie still works yeah. either way. And I feel like this had the opportunity to be that. And then totally threw it away. And then totally threw it away. It's a shame. There's decent performances throughout this thing. Even Jennifer Carpenter, who usually irritates the fuck out of me, yeah. is not so bad in here as the like stepmom, uh, new wife of Rufus Sewell, who is definitely one of your suspects. <laughs> well, yeah, because of Jennifer Carpenter, Carpenter's amazing resting bitch face. Oh my god, she's got the resting bitch face of all resting bitch faces. She is the grumpy cat of actresses. <laughs> she really is. Except Holy not cow. cute or adorable. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Devil's Hand. And now we're going to talk about At the Devil's Door, which I wish I could find so I could get the fuck out of this movie sooner. Why? why? I, like, I really, really actively disliked this I'm just, movie. like, not really sure what people saw in this film, what some other critics saw in this film that they liked it. came out at South by Southwest, and maybe it was festival excitement? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Um, there's. It starts off interesting enough with, like, uh, this teenage girl, Ashley Rickards, and her boyfriend, presumably. They're making out, and he says, look, uh, there's this game. We've got to take you to meet this guy, played by steady character act- actor Michael Massey, who who can hook us up, like, $500 uh, give us like $500 for playing this game. It's kind of weird, but it's cool. Okay, stop right there. Anytime a trailer trash <laughs> burnout version of Michael Bean, who does not Michael Bean, look like a burnout version of Michael Bean, uh, says, I'll pay $500 to play three-card Monty in my trailer. Yeah. Don't do that. Something's wrong. Well, Why would you ever do that? Yeah, I mean, if they wanted to fool you from what was really happening, they should have just called it the shell game. Because the devil's door kind of gives away the fact, oh, you're selling your soul. Um... Yeah, and this movie's plot is uh, ultimately a shell game with the audience. Like, do you buy this? Do you buy this? Hey, follow the dart. Follow the card. Follow the card. Follow the card. We see a brief sequence where she ends up uh, being murdered by some unseen demonic force, which takes away all of the... Like, it's like you blew your wad completely on what's going on early on in the film, because then we have to wait forever for anything interesting at all to happen. Well, not only that, but the first the first pro, that prologue you're talking about so desperately wants to be House of the Devil. Yeah. Like, to the point that it even it's like, oh, it's 1988. She just had this, like, weird encounter. Now she's in a house by herself listening to music, and it's all about the stillness of the house and what's really going on. I'm like... Yeah, House of the Devil did that. Well, then the film, like, obviously tries to pull a Hitchcock as they start following this woman who's a real estate agent. Uh, He's got a sister who seems like she's just going to be a supporting character who's, like, an local artist. Uh, and she's trying to sell the house and weird stuff starts happening. It starts intensifying and, and it, it pulls in a, a Hitchcock and ultimately substitutes for you who the actual main character is going to be. Of the yeah, film. it kind of does that to us twice. Really, in a really boring way. Yeah. And neither one of these characters are very interesting or interestingly acted at all. By oh my God. Playing it. The, the actress we start with yeah. makes Megan Fox look like an emotional dynamo. <laughs> like every line. There was a line where like she's showing a house and a creepy homeless girl shows up and she goes, hey wait, where are you going? Literally like that. And I think it's because, I don't know why. Yeah, every... got, this actress got nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actress in the past, by the oh, way. Oh, she's fucking terrible in this. And I think part <laughs> of it is that every line of dialogue is ADR. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. Every single, like to the point that it sounds like really artificial, you can hear the room where they're recording the dialogue after the fact. And it's like nothing has any intensity because we just read our lines into a microphone like this. Yeah, maybe that's that's it cuz yeah, the performances just seem totally flat here. And it's you know, it ends up being a it ends up trying to be a bunch of different movies. It tries to be a ghost house film. It tries to be I'm having a demon baby film. It has tries to be like the end of the world is on the way type film. 
And none of these things really feel like they're fitting together terribly well. Yeah. Um, I just thought this was dull. Everything was predictable. Um, there was there was never any sort of excitement or tension in this. Yeah. Yeah. Just, wow. Well, what, and here's, what a wasted use of f- finances. See, and here's what really makes me mad is there are a couple of shots in this movie that I thought were legitimately creepy. There are a couple of, there are a couple of moments where they, they manage some imagery that's really unsettling. But then they completely waste it. They completely... Uh, you, you know, abandon everything that was good about Early it. Early on, there's a few shots. Yeah, it's like okay, this could go somewhere, and it's squandered. It's yeah. squandered by the end of it. And the, the 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 ending of this movie makes no fucking sense whatsoever. No, well, I mean, I get what they were trying to do with it. It's just okay, but it's like, but here's here's my big thing. It's like if you, <laughs> they literally go from I'm going to abandon this person. And then we jump ahead six years later where we're told that now they've been, you know, going to great lengths to find this person. I'm like, you just left. Yeah. How hard could it have possibly been to find the person you just left? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, well, anyway. No, thank no you. No matter what Fangoria and what have you says about it. Sorry, guys. We're just going to disagree on this one. So bad. I thought this was garbage. So, so bad. So bad. Yeah. Well, moving on to a TV show that I actually did not get a chance to see. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Extant Season 1? You know, it's funny. I hadn't even heard of this. I didn't know this existed, and I don't know how. You get like a major actress like Halle Berry starring in an ongoing television show, first I didn't off. Know that. Which I'm like, wait, what? She's the star of it? Steven Spielberg is the executive producer. I mean, you'd what? think that this would have gotten more press in circles that we run through. But we don't watch a lot of television as it airs. We tend to watch it well after the yeah, fact. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that might be just why. Um, and this is. A pretty damn good show, too. Huh. Got renewed for a second season. Someone tried to tell me, hey, this show, that show sucked. It didn't even get renewed. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. This got picked up in October for a second season for uh, for 2015. So, And it actually is a pretty good show. Uh, actually written uh, by this original concept by this guy, Mickey Fisher, who apparently won a contest to like for the best premise for a TV show huh. and Spielberg read it and went, Oh my God, this is amazing. And decided to pick it up and run with it. And it's not surprising because there's a lot of familiar Spielberg type themes here. The most notably being, uh, AI in the context of like, what is life? Right. Is, right. A, is a big question. And there's two plots that are kind of going on simultaneously that, that intersect here. Um, Molly Woods is who Halle Berry is playing here. Who's an astronaut in the near future. I think it's like maybe a hundred years from now, maybe 50, not sure. One of those, you can't quite tell because mm-hmm. you know, who knows how fast technology is supposed to evolve, but it's taken a big jump is the point. And there's, She's an astronaut with the International Space Exploration Agency, uh, where she has just come back from a 13-month solo mission aboard a space station called the Seraphim. She's just gotten home when the show starts to her husband, John, who's a robotics engineer, the best one on the planet, who has literally made their son. They've got like a Uh-oh. like a nine year old. He's been Daryl. Yeah, he's he's got a nine year old son named Ethan, who is the prototype android they call Humanix, uh, who is. Almost un- you're almost not capable of telling him from a real kid. Huh. Like he's just that realistic in his AI, that well created that I mean, even though he's aware enough, self aware enough to realize he is a robot, um, in every other way he behaves emotionally and outwardly like a kid. Okay. Um, and the two plots are one that something happened on the spaceship when she was there uh, that she didn't even believe could have really happened. That basically her ex-husband appeared while she was in space 
and uh, she was knocked unconscious. And when she got like, doesn't it's like, okay, I must've been asleep or something and dreamed that. But when she's gotten back to earth, she finds out she's pregnant, something she could not be because it would have mean she got pregnant on the spaceship, which was like I said, a solo mission. And two, she was told long ago that she was incapable of having children. Huh. So, okay, something weird is happening. The other plot is about uh, this kid that they have who is slowly becoming more and more and wildly intelligent and starting to ask questions about the ethics of creating artificial uh, intelligences and, wow. and, and whether it's wrong to even be scared of an artificial intelligence as it gets closer and closer to becoming human. I mean, there's a lot of really fascinating stuff going on like that. But at its worst, the show goes maybe a little too jumps a little too quickly into some of the genre stuff when it comes to when you start realizing that what's going on is there is a alien intelligence that is acts like an infection and is you know trying to invade the earth as near as we can tell Mm -hmm. in a very way we haven't seen before but a lot of the aspects of it involve tropes we've seen many many times before as it's steadily possessing people and and taking advantage of this one guy who works for uh the 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 version of nasa on the show that is like desperate to do anything it takes to see and have relationship with his dead daughter and that's the the thing's one key it can make you see in completely realistic way anyone who ever existed in your life you know, so mm. your dead wife, your dead girl, girlfriend, your dead what cat, whatever, will come back into you. It's completely tactile, whatever. It's nobody else can see it but you. You know, huh. uh, and so it's manipulating people by being able to do this sort of thing to them, um, amongst other things. I don't know. It's the first season. Not everything is defined completely yet. Uh, it ends on a very interesting place, but also sort of a good stopping point. So it's like clearly can go further, but it was smart enough to end in a way of like, just in case we don't get another season, here's a place that would be a satisfying ending. Um, and yeah, I think on a, uh, on a making you think level, this is really good. I think it, it also feels like something that they could have done as a three episode miniseries and told their story just as well, mm-hmm. like a little stretched out at points, but Quite frankly, the performances here are great. Halle Berry is wonderful in this lead role. She's not doing going, doing this half-assedly. She really is giving some of her best work. Uh, the great Hiroyuki Sonata, who we've seen in yeah lots of other things. And I just realized who I just remembered who Pierce Gagnon is. He's a little kid from Looper. Yeah, yeah, little kid from Looper. Holy shit! Yeah, he plays the the Woods son, who is wonderful at getting this. Where most of the time he just seems like a kid, but there are these subtle nuances where in his performance where you're like, oh. Where you realize, no, he is, in fact, still a robot. Yeah. Really, really well done. Uh, like I said, Hiroyuki Sonata, you've seen in Lost, you've seen in tons of other things, is l- the owner of this major corporation who is sort of responsible for doing a cover-up on the alien thing uh, because uh, he wants to chase immortality, what have you. I mean, there's a lot of subplots in this thing that are all, all building towards something bigger, some of which we don't get to by the first season, but surprisingly, most of which we do. <laughs> this ends up moving pretty fast after after episode three or so. Uh, Cameron Mannheim is always great. Is in here as Molly, one of Molly's best friends, and her doctor. This is solid entertainment, man. It's Thirteen episodes, and I'm glad they're making a second season. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to check this out. This sounds way better than I would. I I don't know what I was expecting because I never fucking heard of this show. But yeah, no, yeah, it's and it's a really cool blue case. 
it's it's one of the weirder uh if you look you want to look at it, it's over in there in that stack there it's a really weird little design that feels like magnetic but i don't think it is oh wow yeah it's it's very slim Holy shit. like really slim for like having four discs in it oh they're, they're and it's yeah. really pretty and glossy and the discs are set up so that they just kind of they don't even really snap in. What they just the kind of lay on open things. Oh, there's a very it's, it's almost a tiny little it's a lip. Yeah, it's a very imperceptible lip. lip and yet it fits. They all fit very comfortably. Wow. I'm really impressed. And it's super thin. It's really thin. Wow. I'm really impressed with the design of this. Yeah, thing. I wish the, more shows would do this. This is excellent. Yeah, I know. You're like, wow, that's smaller than most single movie cases. But there's no way it's magnets because that wouldn't that would fuck no. with the discs. Well, right? no, they do. They have made. They do make some things with magnets. Apparently, I, huh. I mean. We've had some, but um, yeah, that's not. It, but it feels like it. It's got that sort of like, boy, it's just so it fits together so tightly and nice. Wow. Uh, there's lots of deleted scenes on here, lots of various little featurettes, even a gag reel, which I couldn't bring myself to watch because the show's a very serious type show. <laughs> you don't really want to see like after that. You don't want to break the illusion. Yeah, I didn't want to break the illusion, which I guess is a high <laughs> a compliment to it. Yeah, so, absolutely, I'd say so. Yeah, I don't think this is what you'd call one of the best things on television right now, but it's but it's a show to to watch and see where it's going to go. Fantastic. Certainly a lot better than Spielberg's previous couple indulgences with television. Right, right, right. We're going to move on from there to take a visit to the Stonehurst Asylum, which I got to say, I'm shocked I had never heard of because look at the cast. The cast alone on this film. If you guys haven't heard of this movie, listen to the cast of this film: Kate Beckinsale, Jim Sturgis, David. Uh, I never know how to pronounce Thulis. his name. Thulis, Brendan Gleeson, Ben Kingsley, Michael Caine, Jason Fleming. Like that's a fucking unbelievable cast. Yeah. It's a huge cast. And it's directed by Brad Anderson, who a lot of us know from uh, Session 9, which is right. one of his like, first Wonderful big movies. Wonderful little film. Uh, and and then, I think the main reason why we haven't heard of this is that it's a film with a lot of promise that doesn't live up to that promise. That's true. He also did uh, The Machinist, which is absolutely fantastic film. But he's that's exactly the kind of like films that he usually does. It's kind of these sort of... Uh, not really underground, that's the wrong word, but not super mainstream, you know, thrillers and, yeah. and you know, think pieces. And, and this is a horror movie that's not a horror film. No, no, no. It's, it, it's got all the elements of a horror film. It's sold as a horror film. It even makes a point of letting you know how it's written by Edgar Allan, based on a story by Edgar Allan Poe right. called The System of Dr. Tar and Professor Feather. And there's, I mean, there's just so many tropes in horror. And yet, ultimately, what you have is a drama that ends up falling back on a few horror tropes to seem twisty and shocking yeah and i don't know I, I can't really put my finger on what it is about this that didn't work which you know as a film critic is basically me saying i'm bad at my job but uh like i enjoyed i enjoyed it up to a point and then i was like yeah but now what yeah the story is that uh jim sturgis plays an oxford medical school graduate who has has got, made a point of going out to stoner's asylum which is very well known uh, asylum out in the middle of fucking nowhere and it's christmas eve when he gets out there um, Happily. So, so there you go another christmas movie hey hey uh, um and because he basically wants to learn he wants to throw himself into it with who is supposed to be this like really really great uh 
doctor who runs the place, played by Ben Kingsley. So he goes in there, and it's very unconventional. Like, the inmates are always, like, running around the place. They have dinner with the staff. Uh, it's very odd. There's a, there's an antagonistic relationship formed almost immediately between Sturgis and uh, David Thewlis, who plays a character named Mickey Finn, who is sort of the groundskeeper type character. Slash werewolf. Yeah, slash werewolf, right. Professor Lupin. Uh, um, and you can tell right off the beginning, some, right from the beginning, something is off. It's not helped by the fact that Kate Beckinsdale, who's just stunningly gorgeous here, like she usually is, plays an inmate, but who doesn't seem to have that serious of a problem. I mean, basically, it's just, it's, she's no touchy. Yeah, she's no touchy. No touchy. She does yeah, not like touch to be touched. Her, she's like, uh, which nowadays you'd be like, hey, so don't touch her. What's the problem? Yeah, <laughs> you like, you're not entitled to do that. Just don't fucking yeah, do that. You get the feeling like she was probably sexually abused horribly by her husband, who we, we see briefly. Briefly at one point in the film, but who was they make clear was an abusive piece of shit, and you're like, okay, she's not the crazy one he is, but hey, just the time, yes. Uh, um, and she's telling this young doctor, get the fuck out of here, go, you don't want to be here, go. Well, it's quickly revealed, so this isn't a big spoiler. I mean, it's revealed in the first act that the inmates have taken over the asylum. Right, Like, the actual doctors and nurses are trapped in a dungeon at the bottom of the place, with Michael Caine being the primary doctor uh, down there, who's begging, please, you've got to get us out of here. But there's no easy way to do it. The inmates are all armed, and to break the illusion means they're just going to throw Jim Sturgis down there with them. Yeah. So what is he supposed to do? Adding, you know, making it even more complicated, he appears to have kind of fallen for Jake Kate Beckinsale's character. Right. He's like, well, I'm not leaving without her. And she's like, I'm not going. <laughs> yeah, you should just go, dude. It's like, if she's not going to go with you, just, just fucking go. And there's elements of a lot of other non-horror films that are in here as well, like The Ninth Configuration. Yes, was a big inspiration, very much Ninth Configuration. Big influence yeah. on this. Um, uh, and once again, somebody reminded me what it was called, and now I forgot again, the little Italian or French film where the guy shows up to an asylum in the the, the town where the inmates have, have broken out of the asylum and taken over all of the positions in the town, like the the mayor and everything else, oh, all run by crazy people, and I'm, I totally forgot again the name of it. But um, it's got like some highfalutin influences. It's just that. Yeah, it, the, none of the twists are all that surprising. I mean, the final twist is fun. Mm. I liked it. It's fun. Okay, that's fun. But it doesn't make a lot of sense. No. You're like, but... Uh, uh. But I'd tell you this. I am surprised it wasn't released theatrically. Yeah. With this cast it's alone. It's better than a lot of sh- really shitty films that get released theatrically all yeah. the time. No, I mean, even I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, the ending, it doesn't all come together the way it should. No. So, ultimately, it's kind of a bust. But that being said, with this cast alone, yeah, I don't know how this didn't get released theatrically. Said, it's not a terrible movie. It was produced it's... by Mel Gibson, for fuck's sake. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, that's why the everyone every scene is like, kill all the Jews. Um, yeah, that's what that's all about. Uh, I wonder what that subplot was all about. <laughs> Weird. No, there are no Nazi doctors in this, surprisingly. No Nazi doctors. Although the, the most well, it takes place before the Nazis. The most interesting thing this movie has going for it is asking that question. Is it worse to have the inmates running an asylum than it was to have the doctors? the way they were then yeah. which is like basically for all extents and purposes torturing these poor people yeah. so who really belongs in the cells well I love the line that Ben Kingsley had where he's introducing the young doctor to the patients and he points out this one guy who is the uh, 
the heir to a, a railroad empire? And he's like, well, what's his malady? And he goes, he has no interest in trains. Yeah, so they put him here. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? They put him here so that somebody else could run the empire. Yeah, it's, and it's like, oh, so yeah, it, it does raise that question of like, at this time uh, in the history of, of mental health, was it better to have the inmates running well, the asylum? Yeah, at, at this period of time, it was not good. Mental health was not really healthy to be involved in. Yeah. So if you had, and it was really easy to get someone committed. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I could do it to you right now. And like female hysteria make was one of the most common things, which just means they're pissed off you were acting like a prick. Yeah. Well, you're hysterical. <laughs> you, you cheated on me seven times. That, oh, she's hysterical. Like, well, female hysteria was listed as a co- insanity. You're yeah. Like, oh as was God. homosexuality at as the time. As was homosexuality. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I mean, it would have been, I guess I would have liked this film to go more one way or the other. You yeah. Know, more serious. Like where you actually start finding out about more of the things of the time and being more into that level, that sort of like the thing, uh, that level of the film, which is more of a subtext than anything or go flat out really scary, which it toys with. But once again, never really fully commits to. Right. No, I agree. I think this is a this is a, a noble effort and an amazing cast, but just doesn't come together the way it should. No, real shame too. Could have been, should have been, but wasn't. wasn't. Well, moving on to our last title of the day, which is also going to be our <gasps> no, giveaway. You missed one. What? You missed one. I did. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You added it, and I forgot to add it. My bad. My bad. Back it up. Continuum Season 3. And I have to add this because this is my pick of the week. Oh, okay. Very good. Continuum is one of the best shows on television that nobody is watching. Nobody. I know one person who's watching the show. It's a shame because not only is it a time travel show, it is one of the smartest science fiction shows I've ever seen. It's so smart and so well produced with such good special effects. And it has Rachel Nichols in it. Yeah, Rachel <laughs> Nichols, who's so hot in the lead. It's This is its third season. It's got only one more season to go. And if there's any problems with this third, third season, it's just that you can tell the point in which they said, okay, you're only going to get this many more episodes because suddenly the plot takes this giant speed up jump forward the same way that Fringe did in its fourth season. Like, wait, what What just happened? <laughs> Everything's moving really <laughs> fast and now it's a completely different kind of show. Still a good show, but I felt like that maybe needed to be stretched out a bit more. Okay, this has that same problem in this season, but it's still all pretty good. The basic plot here is that uh, there's a group of rebels in 2077 who find a way to time travel back to 2012 to try and stop the corporate state from ever existing in the first place uh, and, and form being this terrorist group called Liberate. Uh, a one police officer accidentally gets zapped back with them when they pull this escape act and is now in our time. With the advantage of a couple things, like she's got this badass suit that can stop bullets and she can turn invisible with and stuff, Sweet. like a cyber suit. And she's got implants in her head that would be useless normally, but it turns out the guy who invented them is now like a 20-something in this time <laughs> and has just developed the software. And so actually her uh, implants intersect with his hardware and so she starts having a friendship with the the guy who's going to end up being one of the most powerful corporate people in the future ah. who's just started to invent all these technologies huh. now the, she's trying to track down these terrorists main plot of the show at the same time integrating herself based on a lie with the local police department thankfully the show pretty early on gets past the whole i keep having to dodge around everyone because i don't want them to know i'm really from the future and just <laughs> lays its cards on the table for all of the main characters 
Um, cause you know how irritating that can be. They did that on arrow for way too long. True. Um, True. what makes this show so goddamn interesting is that clearly your hero is this female cop, Rachel Nichols. And yet she comes from a future that no sane person would want to see happen. Right. She's there to defend that future line because she genuinely believes that that was, you know, you, you do what you're, you do what you're told. You do what the, whatever the state says is the right thing to do. And she's a very sympathetic, kind person. She wants to be a cop to help people and thinks that people who wanted any return to the old ways were wrong, that they were upsetting the nature of the system. And yet the terrorists <laughs> are the ones that philosophically are correct in that, yes, this is terrible. This is the opposite of freedom. You don't want a corporate run state, but they're also killing people, murdering people at will to try and do anything it can to stop that timeline from happening. Huh. So you have this weird, like, I'm not sure who I should be rooting for in this scenario <laughs> type of thing going on. Season three is where on a philosophical level, these questions really come to the forefront. And in fact, like get to an agreement point where you're like, okay, clearly we need to meet somewhere in the middle as an entirely different timeline ends up getting created. And now the future looks like it's going to be shit for both sides. <laughs> Everybody lose. <laughs> Not only that, you've got a world that has two copies of Rachel Nichols and two copies of the young, like a mastermind guy, computer guy who she's become friends with. I like the idea of two Rachel Nichols. I'm just going to throw that out there. Well, sadly, one of them dies almost immediately. Aww. But uh, it's the season kind of becomes about the two uh, of the other guy, Alex, uh, who one of which... Yeah, and her trying to decide which one is the right one to befriend because they quickly take very different opinions on what they want to do. And they that mirrors her feelings about the future and her starting to understand that maybe her future as well was shit. She was just looking at it wrong. <laughs> it's a really fascinating season and a great continuum to the continuum. Hey, hey, hey. A, a nice season. I just, I, this is a show I wish I could convince more people to watch. It's very complex, yet very exciting. It's not something you can jump in right in the middle. And I believe seasons one and two are on Netflix. Really recommend this. Give it a shot. It's only going to be four seasons total. Well worth your time. Fantastic. Yep. Well, can, can I do it now? Yeah, can you can do it, do it now. You can... <laughs> give away! Give away! It's not this. But not this, but our last title is going to be our giveaway! And that is The Skeleton Twins, which is a a, a comedy starring uh, Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig. I, I, it is Bill Hader. I always get these guys. Can, yes. Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig as uh, estranged twins who reunite after both of them on the same day have uh, had near-death experiences. In the sense of that they brought on those near-death experiences on purpose. Oh, well, Some people go. refer to it as attempted suicide. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> um, See, I haven't seen this, so you'll have to... I'm just going by the synopsis. I know, here. fair enough. Uh, the idea here is that we start off with, like, a hater has... We see him slashing his wrists, and we see at the Kristen Wiig, uh, she's getting ready to swallow a bunch of pills, but then a phone call comes saying that her brother, who she hasn't seen in a decade has tried to commit suicide unsuccessfully. So suicide attempt to the aside, she goes to rescue her brother, basically, uh, in, out in California, and they decide to go. He's going to come back with her to New York and stay with her for a while. This is awkward because she's married to Luke Wilson, who's one of those guys who's, like, really good at everything and really, really too friendly all the time and always mm -hmm. wants to, what can I do? How, how are you? What's going on in your life? Tell me about this. We're like, you're a really nice person, but I wish you would shut up and leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's 
it's made awkward when he's like, oh, yeah, we're trying to have a baby, which uh, Milo, Bill uh, Hader's character, is surprised with. Because Maggie's always been clear in the past she doesn't want kids, mainly because I think she's afraid. She's one of those people who suffers from depression who's afraid that if she has kids, they'll suffer from depression. Too, right, right, right. And doesn't want that. Um, to add awkwardness on Milo's side, in town, back in his hometown... Uh, he starts kind of observing this uh, middle-aged guy there, uh, played by Ty Burrell from Modern Family, who apparently in high school was a teacher who molested him repeatedly and in fact lost his job because of it. Uh, but now, you know, obviously it's been years and Hader still has had this part of himself that is like actually attracted to this guy. You know, I think it was one of those things that was consensual, but it shouldn't have happened in the first place. Mm-hmm. And hater still has sexual feelings towards him. So they sort of start to reinvigorate a relationship with each other, which really infuriates the shit out of Mackie, of course. And it shouldn't happen in the first place because talk about your unhealthy relationship starting. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things going on with unhealthy relationships. Maggie starts having an affair with her scuba instructor. There's some things that sound like soap opery on the outside, but in the context of everything going on in the film, they're all very layered. They all are reflections of who of these people who seem very real and reflections of their like neuroses they're going through. Like everything they're doing that in a lesser thing would just be a soap opera element. Here, there's a very good reason why they're doing these things. As you un- start to understand why, the same times these characters do about themselves, hmm. they're interesting people, and their relationship is interesting, and the way they sort of feed off each other is interesting. All that ma- matched with a good amount of humor, wonderful, talented actors like Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader, who are sort of leading the pack right now for me of comedy actors that have shown they can do drama as well. Um, it's a solid little uh, dramedy. I mean, it's it's definitely more on the drama than the comedy side. There's elements of comedy here, which I know seems weird when you're like a lot of the trailers for this market this more as a comedy because you got Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig. But it is more serious than it isn't. It's just... It's a pretty darn good little indie film. Very nice. much a little indie drama, but a darn good one. And it won a, a it won a screenwriting award and was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance. Eighty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. There you have it. And we're giving away. Good. What do we got? We got we one. got one Blu ray. We got a Blu ray to give away. And the way we're going to do that, as you know, we do a lot of writing prompt giveaways on Twitter. So follow us on Twitter at one of us net. And then what I want you to do is propose two actors who should play twins in a movie. Huh. Now this could be because they look alike, or because it would be hilarious mismatch. But you can't say Schwarzenegger and Devito. I'm no. sorry, off the table. Okay, I was going to go the rock and the, the actress who plays Ma Petite on American Horror Story this season. There you go. <laughs> and just hashtag that twins giveaway. We'll pick our favorite. That person will get sent the Blu-ray open to U.S. residents only. Thank you so much for playing. Yes. Yes, that's and it. Thank you so much for listening to Digital Noise. Next week will be Brian and Richard show. Yes, it will. With a special appearance by Matt Frank trying to... Re- like, tell me I should watch my uh, My Little Pony movie. Ooh, and probably a special guest appearance by my New Year's Eve hangover. Oh, boy. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> More like New Year's Heevil. <laughs> yeah, that's also going to happen. Well, uh, guys, thanks for, for listening. Once again, you can uh, like the website on Facebook, facebook.com slash oneofusnet. You can find the old episodes on Stitcher and on iTunes. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast, the website at oneofusnet, or us individually. I'm at Salisbury. I'm at Chris Cox Critic. 
and uh, consider becoming a subscriber. And please, please, please use those Amazon links as often as you go to Amazon. Yes. That's it. What what else? Oh, the other thing I have to say is that no release is too big, no release is too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe, we review them all. And? A very merry on Christmas. And? Say goodnight, Gracie. And? And then? I just wanted to see how many things you could come up with. No, I'm out. I'm out.